You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Similar to Facebook and Instagram, Go Wild is a social media platform, but specifically designed for the outdoor enthusiast. If you love hunting, fishing, or just being outside, the Go Wild app is for you. It is a community of like-minded individuals that get together and share their outdoor experiences, and it's a perfect place to show off your pictures, your harvest photos, the big catch of the day, whatever. It's a great community designed for for hunters and fishermen, by hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. So be sure to give it a try. You can download Go Wild wherever apps are downloaded, Google Play Store, wherever, or for more information, you can visit timetogowild.com. So take this time and download the app and let's get wild. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 31, where we talk with Adam Gall of Timber to Table Guide Service. Hello, how's it going? Hope everyone's having a great day. Thanks for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast, hosted on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Hope you're out hunting. It's the end of November here. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I, uh, as mentioned from the last podcast, I went to Oklahoma and uh, had some success there. It's been great to uh, dive into some fresh, fresh <laughs> whitetail venison. Been cooking that up uh, like it's going out of style, so it's always nice to have. And uh, now I'm gearing up for my next and final hunt of the year got a late season cow rifle elk tag so I don't know how much I'll have how much time I'll have to really devote to this tag but um, for sure gonna get out for a hunt this coming weekend uh, so a f- couple days after this episode airs I'll be out there chasing some elk and hopefully put another cow in the freezer or hopefully put a cow in the freezer. It'd be nice to uh, to cap off the end of the year with with a full full elk and uh, be able to share a little bit more with friends and family. So that's always fun. 
the tag goes until the end of January, so I've got some time, but due to work travel with Quiet Cat and, you know, the holiday travel, doing all that stuff, it's just a busy, busy time of year for me. So I'm hoping hoping I'll get a crack at something the first first weekend, but we'll see. Stay tuned for that. Um if you like what you're hearing, I know I say this all the time, but go to uh, sportsmansnation.com. You can subscribe to the podcast that way. You can uh, leave us a good review. If you like what you're hearing, like the episodes, the content we're putting out, leave us a five-star review. It would be much, much appreciated. You can go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, plenty of places to to leave reviews at. And, uh, again, always appreciated when you guys do that. Go to transitionwild.com and subscribe there we we still are offering our beginner colorado elk hunting guide so all you have to do is send me your email we'll get you subscribed and i will send you that for free it's really you know if you're planning your elk hunt for next year it's never too early to start so um, go there subscribe you'll get the guide it'll walk you through kind of you know where to hunt when to hunt uh, gear you needed, uh, gear you need, scouting, all that stuff. So make sure you do that. It's never too early to start planning. All right, today's episode we have Adam Gall with Timber to Table Guide Service, and um, I came across an article of his that was sent, or uh, uh, yeah, on their website. Um, my buddy Pete, uh, who I work with, he sent me he sent me the link to their website and uh, was kind of reading up on them and they're doing some really cool stuff. It's not, this podcast isn't really talking about elk strategy or tactics and, um, you know, not really any of that. What I'm talking to Adam about today is, is really what they're doing to, um, not hunter recruitment. It's not necessarily the right word, but we're talking about what they've been doing to kind of promote hunting and, um, you know, the, the whole process of, of, you know, going out and and going on the hunt and preparing. And then, you know, the, the, the entire, uh, full circle of, of the wild game and breaking down the animal and talking about conservation and wildlife management and, and really introducing people, to this lifestyle and this heritage and and they're doing that through partnerships through the rocky mountain elk foundation and backcountry hunters and anglers where they host these kind of workshops right so they've got um you know college students that have never hunted before graduate students that are going into wildlife uh conservation whether they're biologists or doing research on chronic wasting disease um the future of hunting and um you know, introducing them and, and, and going on these hunts and, and bringing in folks to talk about, um, you know, all different aspects from firearm safety to, uh, you know, cooking and breaking down the animal to wildlife biologists talking about, uh, you know, conservation and land and wildlife and hunting and fishing and all that stuff. So they're, they're doing some really cool work as an outfitter and really promoting it so i wanted to promote what they're doing and and talk to adam about all this so that's what we're diving into today is is talking a lot about that what they do 
where they're located. Adam, Adam's got a really cool background as well. Uh, I found out we're both from Michigan, which is pretty, pretty interesting. And uh, what can I say? He's got a cool name. So <laughs> a really fun, a really enjoyable episode. I had a great time talking with Adam. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get him on the line. All right, on the line with us now, we have Adam Gall with Timber to Table Guide Service. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm great, Adam. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be able to talk with you. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time. You have a, I, I must say, you have a great name. I, <laughs> likewise, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I was checking out your site and, um, you know, saw that you were local here in Colorado and kind of read about some of the stuff you have going on with, you know, your introduction of, of, of new hunters to, uh, or new people to hunting and, and, and dealing a lot with Colorado and, uh, you know, what you're doing with the Colorado parks and wildlife and, and just thought it'd be a great opportunity to kind of give you a call and, and talk to you a little bit about a, a little bit of everything. So if you're, uh, if you're up for that, I'm, 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 definitely looking forward to, to picking your brain a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Fire away. All right. So what, um, so I, I know we've traded a few kind of emails back and forth. It sounds like you're still doing some late season hunting here at the end of November. What, uh, how's that going? What are you, what are you going after? Are you doing some late season elk hunts? Yeah. So with, um, really the, we kind of, my wife and I have, my wife is Anna and we, we run timber to table guide service and that started out primarily as uh, late season cow elk hunts um, mm-hmm. with a focus kind of trying to target, as you mentioned, um, new or, or relatively new hunters. Most of the folks that, that we take have, have never hunted or if they have, it's, it's very minimal, um, maybe, you know, small game or something like that. But, yeah. but uh, those run, um, typically starting right around now. Um, and this year we're running them into January. Uh, we've had quite a bit of, quite a bit of interest. And so, um, trying to accommodate the, the interest as far as getting the folks out there that want to go, but at the same time, uh, you gotta be, we have to be careful with the land that we hunt. So we're not, you know, peppering the holy smokes out of the resident elk population. Um, but uh, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, the the first hunt actually just started a couple of days ago. Um, it's actually a hunt sponsored by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, partnering with Conservation Leaders for Tomorrow, which are both fantastic organizations. Um, I'm sure most folks have heard of the Elk Foundation, but Conservation Leaders for Tomorrow is a a really cool organization as far as what they're doing uh, for the future of hunting and and management and stuff. So. But yeah, um, our our hunts right now are they're, they're on private land, um, and like I say, they're 100 percent focused on cow elk. So yeah, yeah, I think really I cool. answered your question. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe longer than you wanted to hear. No, no, that's great. I actually have a late season private land cow tag as well, and I'm hoping to get out. I won't be able to go out this weekend, but um, next weekend I'm gonna I'm gonna give it go and see if I can put a little bit more meat in the freezer. I've got a mule deer, a couple whitetail, and it'd be nice to really cap it off with a, a nice fat cow in the freezer to to carry me through till next season. <laughs> 
Yeah, if you can eat that many animals, you are a well-fed, <laughs> proteined fella. Yeah, well, I I uh, I take good uh, appreciation in being able to kind of share that harvest. I all my friends love it and uh, family and everything. So I I technically yeah. I, I I tend to give quite a bit away, and it it, it makes me feel good, right? Because I I process everything myself and. And, you know, when you take that animal, you put a lot of work into it. And to be able to kind of share that with, with somebody, it, it really uh, makes you feel good. And it also kind of introduces them to hunting in a, in a new way to, uh, you know, consume organic uh, wild game. And that's, I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. And it's a, a great way to open open folks eyes as far as sharing a, a really well-prepared meal or, um, even a, you know, just kind of an appetizer or something, but yeah. something where they're introduced to it for the first time and they realize it, it doesn't taste gamey or you know, <laughs> all the, the preconceived notions that they might have can kind of get, get dispelled. And, uh, yeah, that, that might be the next future hunter, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And by the name of your outfit and your guide service, like Timber to Table, it kind of seems like you're very much along the lines of the entire kind of process, right? Like it's not just going out and killing something and, you know, take the photos and it's all done. It seems like you're all about the introduction and and showing people – kind of the conservation model here in North America and how wildlife uh, comes to be and how funding and and then you get into the hunt itself and uh, guiding and then processing and then consuming that animal. It seems like you've kind of got everything full spectrum and uh, kind of promoting hunting in a, in a way that it's um, all inclusive from, from every step. Is that, is that kind of the whole gist of what you have going on there? Yes, you're hired. That was uh, a good way to <laughs> to put it. Um, yeah, so the I'm a former high school science teacher here in Hotchkiss, and uh, I've always kind of had an interest in in education and put a lot of value in its importance. Both my parents were public school teachers, so um, my brother was a teacher. So I mean, there's it's teaching is kind of something that uh, is important to me, but at the same time. Um, you know, wildlife and, and being outdoors and outdoor education is kind of a natural draw for me. Um, so being able to carry that into guiding um, was was sort of a, I guess, a natural fit. And I think if you have if you have a good guide, whether you're on a river or climbing a mountain or on a hunt. Um, you should learn something um, yeah. from that guide if, if they're if they're worth their salt. And then you know on the other side of things, my wife is a really good butcher, um, and the interest in or the growing interest in the role food plays in hunting is um, is growing, and which is a good thing because I think there's there was a time there and and it's and it's still present which is fine but i think there was a time there where the emphasis on antlers was just really kind of overshadowing the important role that food plays uh, in hunting um, from a historical standpoint and also just from a matter of fact at the end of the day hunting is about food you know and so 
so when we started, when my wife and I started talking um, about how we could put together some sort of outfit of our own, that's that's where the light kind of flipped on. I was like, well, what if we taught people, you know, how how to hunt in an ethical way and gave them a good introduction to hunting if they've never done it before and then to take it a step further as you alluded to instead of just well you squeeze the trigger and you shoot the animal and your hunt's over what if we took it to the next level and said now that you've killed it let's let's break it down and talk about it from a food standpoint and um, that's where my wife was really able to to step in and and fulfill that role as far as the business model that we we wanted to create um, and, and the service that we wanted to provide to the hunters yeah, um, that come with us. So, and yeah, it's been pretty well received. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. And like you said, it's uh, that antler craze of the nineties and, you know, into the two thousands, it, it was such a big deal. Like that's all everybody cared about. And then now I'm starting to see the same trend of it kind of coming back full circle. And it's, it's, it's not necessarily about the antlers. It's not necessarily how big the deer or elk is. It's it's that experience. It's it's learning something. It's having appreciation for the land, the animals, and then at the end of the day, enjoying a, uh, you know, the bounties of the of the wild game and the, and the meat itself. So that's that's really cool that you're promoting that. And you know, a big reason why I wanted to kind of talk to you today is just because that's we need more of people like you. <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. And and I I think it's important too to note, or at least I want to at least clarify. I, I love antlers as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. Do not get me wrong. I mean, I, I found my first match set of whitetail sheds when I was a really little kid, and I've been a shed hunter for a long time before shed hunting was was cool. Was all the rage that it is now. <laughs> um, so I so you know people that are after the big bull or are after the big buck, you know, I those animals are hard to kill. And they so are. if you've got a hunter that that has that skill level that can kill a trophy bull every year or even once in their lifetime, that's hard to do, you know, and and that really requires a lot of skill as a hunter. So I'm, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, the role of antlers in hunting or even trophy hunting at large, but um, we wanted to, with timber to table, at least we wanted to try and make it more about the food and more yeah. about an educational experience versus you know, the, the guy or gal who's a veteran hunter, you know, and, and they don't necessarily need to be told how to gut the animal or told how to, you know, break down around off the hind quarter or whatever. So, um, so just to, just to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same way. I I love big antlers. (laughs) I like to target the older deer, but Hey, if something, something walks by that I want to shoot, it's not all about that. So, um, yeah, we're, yeah. we're definitely yeah. on the same page there. Now I saw on your background too, you had on your website, you used to be a firefighter forestry technician. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. When I was, uh, I was born in Michigan. Um, oh, and no, when Kevin, I was in high school, where, where are you from in Michigan? I was born in Grand Rapids. Okay. I grew up in a yeah, I I grew up in a little tiny town called Caledonia. It was a little farm town, but Grand okay. Rapids was the closest. Yeah, I'm, big city, I'm, the southwest. Yeah, I'm from uh, 
uh, just south of Lansing, Olivet area. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I'm a oh, Michigan boy as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think my account was it? my basketball coach when I was a freshman, he was from, he went to Olivet. No kidding. But, um, anyways, wow. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so you grew up there. Yeah. When I was, uh, when I was in high school, um, I had a great biology teacher and he, uh, he took a group of students. There was a couple summers where he took a group of students out and did like a three week long trip through uh, the Rocky mountain West um, doing kind of science related stuff in the various national parks, the Badlands, Yellowstone, Rocky mountain national park. Mm-hmm. And uh, that got me very interested in what the West had to, to offer in terms of just all the wildlife and, Cause even then I, I knew I wanted to, I wanted to be a wildlife biologist when I was a little kid. That was my, you know, dream job or whatever. And, uh, so I think once I was out of high school, I started applying for positions on trail crews and fire crews with the national forests out West. And I got picked up, um, by the Powell Ranger district, which is in North central Idaho on the Clearwater national forest. Um, I got hired on their fire crew when I was 20 years old. And I think at the time I was living with eight other roommates in a house and working four different jobs, trying to make <laughs> rent and um, pretty much got offered that job and quit all four jobs the next day and bought a plane ticket to Missoula. And that was, that was the end of that. And so um, I did come back and finish college. Uh, my parents were pretty adamant about that. I, I was not, I was ready to drop out of college and just um, start my career in the fire world. But uh, I'm glad I finished. It was the right thing to do. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, uh, that was my title on the fire crew as a forestry technician is the the title they give you as a, as a firefighter out there. Got it. Got it. And then I also see you have wolf biologists on your resume. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, once I kind of lost the, uh, interest in the firefighting world, once I realized what it was all about, it was a great job when I did it, but, um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it, uh, as a career. Uh, wildlife was still my focus, you know, and what I wanted to be. And so, um, right place, right time, uh, meeting some folks and, I got hired on as a wolf biologist with the Nez Perce tribe in Idaho and worked for them for five years before moving on to becoming a science teacher. Um, but yeah, that wolf biologist job was, uh, it's how I met my wife. Um, it's probably the best job I'll ever have. I love guiding, <laughs> but that wolf biologist job was, um, the stuff I got to see and do, uh, will never be, replicated again it was just an incredible opportunity and a time to be working on those animals um post post reintroduction um, which was pretty controversial obviously but um when you drop all of the the politics and and the bs that surrounds some of that stuff and just look at the animal for what it is they're they're amazing uh, animals. Controversial for sure, but um, but getting to work on them was was pretty cool. It was a a pretty special period oh, uh, in my life. So I'm I bet. grateful for the experience. Yeah, I um uh, I actually did two 
Wolf podcast here this past, I think it was in the spring, I had on a, a member from the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project, basically the organization that was proposing the reintroduction here to Colorado. And I had them on, kind of helped them tell their story. And then I had a follow-up guest who is basically an independent biologist, kind of probably very similar to, to what your position was. And he, uh, he, he had his take on it and, you know, just presented the whole, um, you know, data. Who are the, what were, what were the names of those folks? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, gosh, let me, uh, let me pull it up here right now. Um, I got it on my website here. Um, Dr. Phillips, I think was from the Rocky Mountain Elk Fund or Rocky Mountain Wolf Project. I want to say. Is it Mike Phillips? Mike Phillips. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I know he was, he was part of the, some of the stuff with Yellowstone and, you know, doing some research on the, uh, stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mike is. Yeah. Yeah. He's very well known. Yep. And then I, uh, uh, John Keener was the follow-up. He was a carnivore ecologist uh, with a PhD. And, um, you know, he was very, uh, he, he was under this, he wasn't working for an agency or anything. So he was very non-biased in his opinions and his experiences of, of carnivores and, and wolves and, um, how they, you know, kind of interact with the, the landscape. Regardless of all that, it was just a very, it was my kind of first take and first look into wolves themselves and the, the role that they play. And it was just a very interesting, um, discussion between both parts and 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 eye-opening to say the least yep yeah they're like i say there's everybody has an opinion on them for sure and they're usually not in the gray area (laughs) not too often yeah what's what i'd be interested to hear your take from somebody who who you know obviously spent a lot of time studying these animals and their impacts and you know basically learning everything about them to now uh you know, on the other side where you're a hunter and, and a guide and you're running a business, um, what's your take on the, the whole proposed reintroduction to Colorado? Um, I think a federal reintroduction of wolves would be uh, a, a mistake, in my opinion. Um, I think having them naturally recover themselves in the area, which, which they will, you know, if given the opportunity, Mm -hmm. they'll eventually get here and and do it on their own. That to me is the, the smarter way to go about, um, having wolves back on the landscape. I think they certainly have a right to be here. They have a place, um, on the landscape that I think is valuable uh, they would still need to be managed just like any other wildlife, whether it's elk, mountain lions, whatever it might be, wolves will need to be managed as well. But um, the the concern I have with a federal reintroduction is, in, in particular, in this day and age that we're living in right now, um, wolves are divisive all on their own. Um, when you start trying to force feed folks with a federal government mantra you're going to create even more divisiveness and things seem pretty um, polarized uh, from a political standpoint as they are anyways right now in this climate that we're in politically so I, I think 
the feds just need to stay out of it. Um, and I know that's the only way that they're going to get an immediate reintroduction was, you know, through federal intervention. But I, I think that would just be a huge mistake. What, what I would like to see is for some of the wolf proponents, you know, the, the folks that want to see them back in here, I think education um, would be really helpful and to start going around to some of the more rural towns instead of going to places like Boulder and Durango yeah, where you're basically preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. Um, but going to some of the places, the communities that are going to be impacted when wolves are actually on the landscape. And I, I would say the rural areas of the Western slope, like where I live currently, um, your livestock operators, those are the ones that are going to feel the brunt of it and bear the brunt of it. It's not going to be, you know, not to sound like a jerk, but it's not going to be a soccer mom living in Fort Collins um, who's going to be dealing with the reality of wolves on the landscape. It's going to be your local ranchers. And so doing some outreach to those communities and talking about it and educating them as far as when wolves are here, here's some considerations you're going to need to make and how you operate your, your livestock operation that you've never had to do before. But when wolves are here, here's some things you're going to need to consider doing if you don't want to have problems. And so that to me would go a lot further than just, Hey, we want to have wolves give us some money so we can lobby the government. That to me is not the, (laughs) not the approach I would take with it. I would be trying to do some local outreach and education first and get some of those folks on board maybe, or at least have them up to speed. And then, then talk about, you know, bringing wolves in or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, I guess my, my bottom line is let them come here on their own and it'll save a lot of train wrecks and a lot of headache and hassle and start doing your outreach right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, when I talked to John Keener, he was along the same lines, uh, as you, it it would, it would not be a good idea. It could have disastrous effects potentially. And, you know, I, I kind of went into the mindset, you know, like, Hey, like I, I'm not against animals. I don't want to say like, Oh, kill all the wolves. And, you know, I don't want any wolves. I, I, w- I was kind of looking at the, the aspect of, Hey, I want to find out more information about these animals. You know, what, what are the impacts? What are the potential uh, factors that we need to consider? How would they be managed? And, um, it was just a really cool, like soul searching, um, kind of couple week period where I interviewed both sides of the spectrum and it was interesting to say the least but what came of it I was I was further educated on the subject and hopefully people listening or other people that have tuned into that those particular episodes were able to kind of get a get enlightened on on their side from the whole spectrum uh, and how it will actually impact you know like you said the ranchers the hunters the people living in the landscape so it's interesting to say the least yeah yeah, and it's it's important to know, too. I think one of the fears is, you know, oh, my God, they're going to decimate the elk herds and they're going to kill all the deer and da-da-da. That's not going to happen. Yeah. There's going to be an adjustment period where the elk and deer, and it's primarily elk, you know, that wolves target, that they're going to have to figure out how to live with a keystone predator back on the landscape. 
Um, so they're going to change their behavior. They're going to get, they're going to get killed. It's competition for us without a doubt. Mm-hmm. But as far as eradicating the herds, um, and it's, it's not going to happen. Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana have record numbers of elk in all three States with wolves on the landscape and grizzlies, I might add. So, yeah. um, so I think it's, yeah, that's kind of a, a little bit of a myth, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, let's uh, let's dive into a little bit of what what you have going on with the this hunting for sustainability course. That was something that I read about on your website and found that very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about like what that is, maybe how it came to be, and you know what you're doing currently with that? Yeah, it's uh, it's a program actually developed by Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, um, which is a great organization and. Um, they started this hunting for sustainability course as a means of um, mostly targeting uh, their collegiate club members um, that were interested in learning how to hunt who maybe didn't have any prior hunting experience. And it's, it's a weekend long course. Um, it's free to the student. Um, and they basically in those two to three days, they get a pretty pretty in-depth and very professional, I guess, education, uh, not to keep throwing that word around, but, um, it's what it is. introduction yeah. and education. Yeah. On, on what hunting is everything from the history of wildlife management through the North, Amer- North American model wildlife conservation to, uh, hunter safety as far as firearms go to, you know, usually we try to kill an animal, usually a doe, um, so they can get a look at uh, field dressing the animal um, and then breaking it down. And then, like I say, with us hosting it this year and Anna being able to educate people on the processing part, we were able to do that. So it is, uh, it's a ton of stuff uh, thrown at them in, in a very organized and facilitated way i shouldn't say thrown at them because it is <laughs> well it's, it's a lot it's, to take it's in. blocked out it, yeah yeah it's blocked out hour to hour the whole weekend and um it, it's a it's a, a bunch of really good information um, and obviously we talk about the importance of public lands as well as private lands in the role of wildlife management and conservation um so it's, it's a great program uh, i think they started it in Montana two seasons ago and then they expanded this year uh, to offering those programs in Idaho, Wyoming and obviously Colorado. This is the first year they did it here so hopefully it'll continue to to spread as far as a national offering goes because um, it's it's a fantastic thing. The, the curriculum that we use for it is is well done. It's well put together um, And what I tried to do with ours was bring in a pretty diverse group of facilitators. So we had Pat Dorsey, who's the Southwest regional biologist uh, for CPW. She was fantastic. She came in and and gave several talks. We had Andrew Taylor, who's our local uh, game warden, basically, with CPW. He came in, gave some talks. He also ran uh, the shooting um, the, he ran the range basically Sunday morning with a shotgun and rifle practice. Um, and then my wife and I kind of facilitated 
the hunting, field dressing, and processing. So, and Brian Webster uh, also helped with with some of the processing and, and field dressing as well. Um, and he is the Colorado Wyoming uh, chapter coordinator for backcountry hunters and anglers. So, so anyways, um, yeah, it's a fantastic program, um, and hopefully it'll continue to be uh, funded and continue to expand uh, at the national level. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, for myself and I'm sure for you as well, or, you know, many people that actually listen to this podcast that have been hunting for a long time, you just kind of forget that, like where you started. Right. And like everyone, you think in this mindset that everyone knows, you know, as much as you do or, or, or knows how to process an animal or knows the correct way to, to hunt and knows about all these different things from the, the animal and, and, and wildlife and, you know, public land side. But, and the reality is, is a lot of people don't. And, and if you never grew up hunting and if you'd never been brought up in that kind of lifestyle, you're really at square one. So it sounds like that's really what yeah. you're doing. You're developing, you know, kind of setting the stage, um, the right way and, and the, and the proper way and giving them a, a sneak peek sense but you're going through everything uh from the start that's that's really neat that's that's very cool yeah and it is you like you just mentioned it is uh and we get this a lot in conversations with folks that are interested in going on hunts with timber to table is um it is common for people who didn't have a dad or an aunt or a grandma or an uncle or a brother or whatever who hunted um and they, they don't even know where to go to get their hunter safety. Um, and it's, it's very easy to overlook, uh, some of those simple things when, when you grew up with it, uh, for sure. And so I think not forgetting that and making sure you're kind of you know, looking at the big 30,000 foot view and trying to put yourself in the shoes of those folks that maybe that maybe, maybe they're intimidated by it, or there's just too many hurdles, you know, trying to make it easier for them to uh, come into the fold um, with getting started hunting if it is something that they're interested in doing, just helping them out and making it a little easier or, or just taking the time to explain, hey, here's how you can do it. It's not it's not a big, scary monster. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's the important thing. And, and for somebody listening or somebody, you know, here's this podcast, what, how do they get involved? How do you... Let's say, hey, I want to take this course for next year. How do, how do you go about doing that? Is that something through the BHA? Do they contact you? What are the qualifications to to be able to do this? Um, I would, yeah, it's it wouldn't really be contacting me um, per se, but backcountry hunters and anglers on their webpage, there's some information. Uh, Sawyer Connolly is the name of the gentleman, um, along with Trey Curtis. Those two guys uh, head up the collegiate club program for BHA, and they're both out of the headquarter office there in Missoula. Um, I think they would be the most logical place to start as far as asking about it. And, um, you know, if you live in a place where maybe you want to, you know of a place where you could host something like that in, you know, New Mexico or Wisconsin or whatever the case might be. Um, but, but those would be the two guys to start with Trey Curtis and Sawyer Connolly, as far as finding out more information on it. Yeah, no, that's great. And even for, 
um, you know, let's let's rule out not just the West. I mean, for somebody listening in Iowa or Michigan or wherever, um, you know, probably be able to expand that beyond uh, to the Midwest or just hunting in general, whether it's whitetails or turkeys or it's it's basically yeah, and, and, the same. And BHA BHA has uh, I mean they're growing like wildfire right yeah. now. They have chapters in gosh I can't even remember how many states, but they're all, they're all throughout the Midwest, um, growing in the South and the Northeast. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely opportunities yeah. in, in states beyond the West, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's cool to see that grow and, and sounds like a really, really neat course. And, um, kind of along the same lines of that you have, uh, currently kind of what you're doing, I believe, or maybe you just, just had it going on is that conservation leaders for tomorrow. And you touched on it a little bit earlier, but tell us a little bit about that and kind of, you know, these hunts that you do with that organization. Yeah. And it's, uh, I would say on the same, as far as you know, Anna and I being excited about certain, I mean, I'll guide anybody. It, it doesn't matter, but these particular hunts, like the hunting for sustainability and this conservation leaders for tomorrow hunt, those are really kind of in our wheelhouse as far as merging and kind of being perfectly in line with why we started timber to table. And so conservation leaders for tomorrow is an organization. It's a nonprofit organization that uh, in my opinion, serves a, a fantastic role in terms of taking, they take graduate students and or folks that are already working in a wildlife management related field. So graduate students who are going to become future wildlife managers or current employees that are already wildlife managers who've never hunted before. So which which to me is a growing thing when you look at some of our uh, our federal agencies like Forest Service or the BLM or or even the state agencies that are managing our, our fish, wildlife, and parks. More and more of their employees aren't people that hunt or fish. And so you've got folks making decisions on those species, but they're not necessarily having the understanding or the lens to look through like a hunter or an angler might. So conservation leaders for, and that's my one-year-old in the background. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh, you're all good. The noise. You're all good. But, but what conservation leaders for tomorrow does is they, they host these five day clinics where they bring in these folks that sign up and they kind of give them similar to hunting for sustainability that course they they give them a much more in-depth five-day long course on the history of hunting and uh, firearm safety and the role hunting plays and give these folks kind of an an eye-opener and most of the time they're extremely receptive to it and their five-day course usually ends with uh, like a half-day pheasant hunt um, where they actually get to go out and maybe shoot a bird and And when I started to hear about this, I was like, well, man, I wonder if they do anything, you know, with like a a deer hunt or an elk hunt, something big game related. Um, And so when we kind of started to talk about it uh, with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, who sponsors conservation leaders for tomorrow, uh, that's where everything kind of fell into place. And 
what we do, our, our role in it is we host one or two alumni of a Conservation Leaders for Tomorrow course, and they come on an elk hunt with us. So, Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so last year was the first year we did it. We had two graduate students, um, a gal from Mississippi State, um, who was studying, I think she was studying feral pigs. Um, and then a gentleman from Utah who was looking at brucellosis, uh, in elk and they went on a hunt with us. And then the gal that we're hosting this year is a grad student from Western state. Um, and she's looking at studying chronic wasting disease in big games. So definitely folks that are going to be playing a role um, in future wildlife management decisions. So for us to be able to influence them in a hopefully positive way uh, into the world of hunting is, again, it's it's why we're doing Timber to Table, to be yeah. point blank with it. Well, that's huge. I mean, like you said, I mean, to have people in these positions that are making important management moves and, you know, influencing legislation and uh, laws and policies. It's scary to think that we do have people out there right now that, that are in such important roles and they've never, you know, held a shotgun. They've never, you know, heard a bull elk bugle in their face and they've never, you know, field dressed a deer, never went fishing. I mean, all that stuff uh, for people that it'd be like being the president of the United States from, you know, a different country. You just don't understand it. You don't, you, you don't know how it mm-hmm. works. And, and for you to kind of develop that and, 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 uh, you know, kind of mold and, and show the whole process. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's really cool. And it's very important, very important work. Oh yeah. That, well, that to me is the, and that's, again, that's, that's not necessarily us doing yeah the heavy lifting there it's conservation leaders for tomorrow um the role they're playing is is awesome i think they host like 14 or 15 of those five-day clinics annually um around the united states so it's not it's not just a western thing it's georgia to michigan to colorado to everywhere in between um and they're they're very good about it from the standpoint that the people they have running those courses are are professionals um, and they they make a point to not be they're not trying to do the recruitment of hunters yeah they're just trying to introduce and educate people on the role hunting plays mm-hmm. um, to these you know wildlife managers um, or or employees that are in a wildlife related field so they're they're pretty adamant about that you know like hey we're not trying to hook people on hunting through some gimmicks or whatever. It's, it's again, education. I keep coming back to that word, but that's really what they're about and, and what they're after, which is, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I know, I know when I talk to like people who just don't hunt or, you know, some of my friends and they're just kind of, they're blown away or they don't, they don't always see that, um, you know, killing animals is, is is conservation you know and it, i hate to use the word kill but i mean that's 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 what it is it's it's money you know you have to take a few to to sustain the population and through that comes funding for the 
department officials, the the wildlife officers, the biologists, habitat improvements, um, you know, all those license fees and the products that we buy go back into uh, the conservation of, of the animal. And, and a lot of people just don't see it from that side. They see hunting as just, you know, sometimes a blood sport. Uh, I think sometimes it's portrayed in the wrong image through Hollywood, through, uh, you know, social media sometimes, unfortunately. Um, so that it's, it's good to see again, people like yourselves kind of promoting hunting in, in, in this manner, it's it's a breath of fresh air, and again, uh, we need more of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I would agree. Well, cool. Um, so we've covered covered that stuff. Um, that's that's pretty much kind of what I was looking to go uh, for this year. Talk talk to us a little bit about timber to table um, guide service. How how did your 2018 go? Uh, I know you guide in unit 61, 62, this kind of Southwest part of Colorado. How, how's your operation? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And, and I kind of started to go there at the beginning of the conversation, but we basically have, you know, timber to table is, I guess the, the flagship, so to speak. And that's really the 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 main thing that Anna and I uh, are focused on. But last year we, in order to offer from a business standpoint, um, in order to, to expand and be able to offer early season hunts, uh, we were able to pick up some permits on the Uncompagre Plateau. Uh, like you just mentioned, units 61 and 62 were on the south end of those two units. And by having those, uh, we're now able to offer, you know, hunts in archery season, typically through about third rifle. Um, we'll close up shop up there just from a weather standpoint. Um, but we definitely do archery first and second rifle. And then about half, half of third rifle, um, we'll spend up there and then do the other half down here in the lower country. And, uh, and that is more of a traditional outfitting approach. Um, I still get, and we'll kind of, depending on what the person wants for their hunt, we still get a lot of first time elk hunters, uh, that want to learn, you know, how to bow hunt elk, or they want to learn how to rifle hunt elk or whatever the case might be. Um, if, if they're looking for a specific type of hunt, I'll sometimes book them through our our early season operation, which is called dark timber outfitters. And that's the one on the plateau. And so we had a pretty good year up there. Um, archery season, uh, it was a, uh, shoulda, woulda, coulda archery season. <laughs> we had, um, I think I want to say a hundred percent opportunity, uh, but no kills. So we went over eight during archery, which is a little, a little frustrating from a, from a guide standpoint. Um, but when everybody has opportunities and they, they either miss shots or they pass on shots or the bull needs to take one more step because the brush is blocking their vitals at 15 yards. There's, you did everything you could do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some stuff that I just can't control. Um, but it was still a great, it was still a great archery season. First rifle, we had a hundred percent success. Everybody killed a bull in that hunt. I think we killed four, uh, that season. Um, second rifle was pretty tough. 
um, had a couple opportunities, but nobody was able to connect. And then, uh, let's see, third rifle, we killed a nice bull, but all four of the guys had opportunities as well. So I, and we killed a nice buck that season too. Oh, wow. So yeah, it was, it was good. It was a good, a good fall and yeah, had a couple weeks off. Um, so I could, uh, actually hang out with my wife and two girls for a few <laughs> Have weeks. a life and, for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Now, like I say, just this week, um, we started up our, our timber to table hunts, the late season cow hunts. So very cool. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been a good 2018 for sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your archer season was a lot like mine and, uh, others that I've, I've talked to and hunted with it. It was, it was a tough season, had some close calls, but no, uh, no tags filled. Um, did you see a big difference this year with like the fires and the drought, like as far as, uh, elk concentration, like from what I experienced, they weren't the elk weren't in the meadows and the high country just because they, it seemed like all the grass was burnt up. The, there was no snow melt. The water was kind of, you know, sparse. And because of that, I didn't see a lot of movement and a lot of elk activity in the areas that I normally do. Did you see that kind of same thing? Like were elk in different areas because of lack of food and water or, or did it seem like it really didn't affect what you've done in the past? Um, yeah, I would say the latter more so than the former. Um, I pretty much hunted the areas that that I know hold elk and and usually do hold elk. And by and large, they were they were still there. Uh, the plateau had it was definitely dry. I mean, yeah, the pond. There's a lot. It's it's a little deceiving because that plateau has a lot more water up there than than what you might normally think there's a lot of sloughs and seeps and kind of moosey habitat um in places and most of those places were bone dry the ponds and all that stuff um were dry but there was still enough water up there in in places that um you know the elk were able to get to them and when you got into what i noticed was in the aspen stands there was still still pretty good feed in there. Now, when you got down into like the oak brush and some of that stuff, that's a little more exposed and a little warmer. Um, it was depressing. Uh, the earth was cracked and everything was brown. Yeah. Um, but up in the dark timber and some of those aspen stands, there was enough feed to kind of hold elk up high and, and kind of allow them to be in their normal areas. And then, uh, you know, with some of that moisture we got in September um, that allowed for a little bit of growth in the grass as well so um, it, it wasn't too far off the mark as far as you know where elk quote-unquote should be um, got it. as far as hunting goes which which was good yeah yeah very cool well it sounds like you had a good year where um, where can people go to check out timber to table guide service and your outfitting operation what's your website do you got social media tell us about that yeah the timber to table webpage is timber to table guide service.com um, dark timber outfitters is dark timber lodge.com we have an off-grid lodge up there uh, surrounded by public land in unit 61 and that's where we base our hunts out of so dark timber lodge l-o-d-g-e 
um, is where you can find information on our early season hunts. Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a Luddite in terms of technology. Uh, <laughs> I do have, I have an Instagram page that's, uh, hashtag timber to table. Uh, no two is, uh, as far as the number goes, it's T O T I M B E R T O T A B L E, uh, for Instagram. And I, I, I have a Facebook page, but I kind of just, I, I don't do it much. I guess I just kind of <laughs> would rather. It's tough. Stay, I kind of stay away from some <laughs> of that stuff. But I try okay. to put posts on Instagram occasionally. Um, I guess I like Instagram more than Facebook. Yeah, but, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, that's where folks can find out about us if they have questions. Um, and, and to be honest, I just assume people give me a call on the phone and can chat on the phone and, and go about it that way. But my email is timbertotable at hotmail.com. Um, that's another reliable way to, to get in touch with us. So yeah, a few methods out there for sure. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Hey Adam, I've, I've taken up enough of your time and, uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast. It's been very, uh, opening for me. I mean, on the educational side and what you're doing and, and love what you have going on. So hopefully we can link back up here and, and, and talk some, some elk or some deer, some, some hunting in a, in a different light after this, but this is a, a very good first conversation and, um, definitely enjoyed it. So again, uh, uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, thank you as well. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about our business, obviously, but I think on, a on a bigger plane, um, the opportunity to talk about some of the, the other folks out there that are doing cool things that we just kind of work alongside. Um, and they make us look good. <laughs> <laughs> so backcountry hunters and anglers and conservation leaders for tomorrow, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Those are, those are people that we feel really lucky and blessed to be, to be partnered with on some of these hunts. So, so thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about that. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Well, cool, Adam. Well, uh, again, appreciate you, and you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk at you soon. Great. Thank you, Adam. All right, there we go. Another episode in the books. Big thanks to Adam for coming on the show. That was that was just really cool to hear his story and to hear all the things that they're doing to promote hunting, to introduce new people to this lifestyle, this heritage, and, and show them the correct way, the, the way it should be perceived. And, um, a lot of times, you know, people that are new to hunting or have never done it before, they see social media and some of the, some of the bad stuff you see on there and they see movies and how hunters are portrayed. And with, with Adam and his wife and you know the operation that they're they're running and these programs that they put together in partnership with BHA and RMEF and Colorado Parks and Wildlife and these other organizations it's just a breath of fresh air and as I alluded to uh, many times in the conversation we need more people like Adam and 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 more promotion of of hunting not in a way that's like shoving it down your throat and you know we're not trying to recruit people it's just it's showing it the correct way and the honest way uh that 99 percent of of hunters um 
are like. And it's important work too. I mean, to have people, it, it was it was a scary thought to hear Adam say that there's a lot of people making management decisions and a lot of people working in um, wildlife management or at the par- department or federal state agencies that are making these decisions that have a huge impact on us as hunters and outdoorsmen that have never actually hunted before in their lives. <laughs> That's scary. So to hear that they're doing work um, such as this and putting on these programs and workshops and introducing these graduate students and people that are going into those fields to a real life um, hunting scenario and experience. It's, it's very cool stuff and it's, it's important. It's very important. So again, hats off to Adam and, and thanks again for coming on the show. If you're looking to book a hunt, um, to unit 61, 62, that's right in my backyard. I know I, uh, this, uh, very good elk hunting area. Um, so you'd be in good hands with Adam for sure. Uh, that's, it's, it definitely sounds like a cool operation that he runs there. Archery, rifle, elk, and mule deer. Definitely check them out. So, um, definitely give Adam a look and, um, uh, and, uh, I'm sure you can't go wrong. All right, so that wraps it up. Again, if you subscribe to TransitionWild.com, you're starting to plan your elk hunt for next year to Colorado, go over to TransitionWild.com, subscribe, and I will send you the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide for free. It's going to walk you through scouting and uh, planning your hunt, determining when to go, uh, what gear to buy, all that stuff. And then further inspiration and tactics and tips in there as well. It's a nine, 10 page guide. So go download that um, by subscribing to transitionwild.com. All right, that is it. Check out Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Go to the website. You, you can subscribe there so you're not missing an episode. Uh, be much, much appreciated. Check me out transition wild on instagram facebook youtube all that good stuff hope you guys are having a great holiday season so far christmas is right around the corner tell your family you love them and be nice to your mother that's that that is it i'm gonna leave you with <laughs> i'm gonna leave you with that oh this episode's brought to you by heads up decoy check them out headsupdecoy.com be nice to your mom And uh, we'll talk to you soon. (laughs)